Good evening. We're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for being back. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapters 5 through 7 in our study tonight. And as we look at these chapters together, let me just say very quickly, there's no way that I can in any shape, form, or fashion get through all of this material. There's just too much there. And so really what we're going to do is just maybe take an overview, a synopsis, so to speak, of these three chapters. And as we look at them, I would encourage you to go home tonight, go home this week, uh, when you get home from work or school or whatever, and dig deep and study these great chapters. A lot of, lot of good material contained in Matthew, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Again, thank you for being here. To those of you who are visiting, we welcome you. We're so grateful that you've chosen to come to honor us with your presence. We're so thankful for Another opportunity to be together, to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with one another, to sing, to pray, and to study from God's Word. Tonight as we look at Matthew chapter 5, I want to say at the onset of our study tonight, based upon my study, the key to the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5, verse 20. And we'll look at that in more detail in just a moment or two. What I've tried to do is extract some things from what is recorded and to provide us with an overview of this great sermon. And there is, as I said a moment ago, just a great deal of information contained here. And so as you begin sifting through this information, you'll find out that really what Jesus is encouraging is what I would call authentic discipleship. In other words, to be a genuine disciple of His. A disciple being a learner, a follower. And so Jesus here is laying down principles upon which those who would follow Him would take to heart, live out on a daily basis. So I want to begin by first of all talking about what I would say are the prerequisites to kingdom living. Now Jesus began His earthly ministry, you remember, the same as John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, the one who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord Jesus came, as was read a moment ago, to fulfill that which had been recorded about Him in the Old Testament. He was the Messiah, the Anointed One. He came to redeem the human family. The church the house of the saved, very important. And those who would be his followers would be a part of this spiritual institution. So as we think about the prerequisites to kingdom living, Jesus, as I said a moment ago, began his earthly ministry preaching repentance because, as he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember over in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus promised to build the church or the kingdom. Verse 19, he uses the word kingdom. Those terms are used interchangeably. So as we think about the prerequisites to kingdom living, I want to begin by looking at chapter 7, verse 21. Everything that we talk about is undergirded by one word, that is submission, obedience. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So 
if we are to be a disciple of His, first and foremost, we have to learn submission, don't we? Obedience to His will. And as Jesus said, there are going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? In Your name cast out demons. In Your name do many mighty works. Again, authentic discipleship. Genuine disciples of the Lord. So what about the prerequisites to entering the kingdom of heaven? What about prerequisites to kingdom living? Well, it all begins with submission or obedience to the will of God. You remember Jesus taught in John chapter 14, He said, If you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments, won't you? So with that in mind, look at Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, we have what some would say are keynotes to the kingdom. Brother Foy Wallace used to call the Beatitudes Pentecost pointers. And really, they point to those characteristics that will undergird this spiritual institution. So he begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit here are those who are humble. That is, they have a humble disposition. And you know, when you go back to the Old Testament, for example, in the book of Proverbs, the writer talks about pride. Pride can be a very dangerous thing and can come between us and submission to the will of God, can it? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, but then note if you would, blessed are those who mourn. In this context, he's talking about people who mourn for their sins who recognize where they stand in relationship to God. Before we can ever become a child of God, we've got to see ourselves as we really are. One of the real problems in the world today is people are not willing to accept who they are, where they are in life, to be very candid and to understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, Jesus said, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord Jesus has the ability to comfort the hearts and lives of people, doesn't He? You remember Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, the promise being, He said, I'll give you rest. And then note this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek is used, well, really the word meek, the word meekness, carries with it the idea of Bringing under subjection. I think about bringing our will in subjugation to the will of Almighty God. It's used sometimes of a wild horse, a stallion, that is bridled or domesticated, so to, split, so to speak. And you think about as those who are in the world. When we talk about coming to Christ and entering into the kingdom of God, our will has to be broken in favor of, in lieu of, the will of God, doesn't it? And then he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And those who are followers of the Lord, who are His disciples, have a hungering, a thirsting, a yearning, if you please, to draw closer unto God. And James will say, Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. And then note, if you would, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be filled, or rather, they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is imperative, not only from the vantage point of our being the recipients of God's mercy, but from the vantage point of demonstrating or showing mercy to others. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy. Think about how God has showered His mercy, grace, and love upon us. Jesus here is saying, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Over in James chapter 2, James said, judgment is without mercy to him who shows no mercy. And so the idea is we have to learn to be merciful and kind and compassionate to other people. Blessed are the pure in heart. And really, the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the heart. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The heart. And then note if you would, blessed are the peacemakers. He said, for they shall be called the sons of God. We serve the Prince of Peace, don't we? And as servants of the Prince of Peace, our job is to reach out to people and hopefully and prayerfully share the gospel with them so that they might enjoy peace. Furthermore, we want to live in peace with all men, as Paul would say in the book of Romans. So these are some just basics that undergird discipleship, genuine discipleship of Christ. Before we can ever become a part of the kingdom of God, we've got to see ourselves as we really are. We've got to look to Christ and we've got to be obedient to His commands. Now, what I want to do is think for a minute or two about some of the principles of kingdom living. I said a moment ago that Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, in my estimation, is really the thesis of this great sermon. Listen to what Jesus said. For I say to you, unless or except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, he said, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When you think about the scribes and the Pharisees, what comes to mind? What comes to my mind is that by and large, they were antagonistic to the teaching of Christ, weren't they? They were, I guess to put it in our vernacular, they were showboats. They wanted people to look at them and to respect them and to talk about how pious and righteous they were. In Matthew chapter 23, for example, Jesus sets forth a series of woes directed specifically at the scribes and the Pharisees, doesn't he? And you remember he said in Matthew chapter 23, he said, they say and do not. In other words, they preach one thing, but they practice something altogether different, don't they? In verse 5, listen to what he said. All their works they do to be seen by men. Now we're talking about genuine discipleship, authentic discipleship, being authentic in our relationship to God. In Matthew 23 and about verse 28, listen to what Jesus said, characterizing the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, outwardly you appear righteous before men, but inwardly you're full of uncleanness or iniquity. There's the idea right there. They, they parade around as if they're righteous and pious. They're some of God's best. And people view them as righteous. And Jesus said, listen, internally, these people are full of iniquity. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus would say about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees 
and the Sadducees. In verse 12, he reveals exactly what he's talking about. In other words, he said, you need to be aware, you need to be on guard against the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because they say and do not. They teach one thing, they preach another. In Luke 16, Jesus, in his discussion with them, we find Luke identifying these people as lovers of money. You get the impression that these folks weren't who they claimed to be. And so, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is again talking about how our discipleship needs to be authentic. It can't be just name only. Scribes and the Pharisees, they were big on name only. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind. He said if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. So they had a lot of spiritual problems. So with that in mind, note if you would how Jesus addresses the heart. And really he begins with the attitude of the heart. Note with me, if you would, just some of the things that Jesus talks about. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But now look at verse 22. Jesus said, But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Well, why would Jesus talk about Attitude, our attitude toward other people, anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred, the use of inflammatory language, because these are things that ultimately can lead to the overt act. For example, over in 1 John chapter 3, John would say, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And he said, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. They were big on holding to the letter of the law. But underneath the intent of the law, the heart. How do you view other people? Note if you would the continuation, verse 27. Jesus said, you've heard it was said of them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. All right. But I say to you, Whoever looks on a woman to lust after her, Jesus said, has committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, why would the Lord Jesus talk about the heart and adultery? Because lust goes hand in hand with adultery, doesn't it? So it's not enough to not commit the act, but Jesus is saying that there are principles that undergird the very act itself. When somebody has lust in their heart, that can lead to adultery. And then note, if you would, verse 38. Jesus now talks about retaliation. He said, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Drop down and note, if you would. Verse 43. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about attitudes that relate directly to the heart. How we treat other people. And really, 
a lot of this would fall under the heading of Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, wouldn't it? Whatever you want men to do unto you, do you also unto them. This is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. Drop down, look at chapter 6. Again, we talk about the scribes and the Pharisees and how it was all about show. It was all about putting on this flamboyant show that they were the righteous. Jesus begins by talking about benevolence or charitable deeds. Listen to him in verse 1. Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men. Now note, to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I can just imagine the scribes and the Pharisees going around trying to do good for other people so that people would take note and say, my, how good, what good people they are. What righteous people they are. Drop down, look at verse 5. He said, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. He said, assuredly or verily I say to you, they have their reward. Look at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. All Jesus is saying is, it's all about show. And the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, look, when it comes to being one of my disciples, it's about genuine, authentic discipleship. It's about practicing what you preach. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about parading around town so that people will talk about what a great person you are. Matter of fact, what was it Jesus said in verse 16, chapter 5? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify whom? Your Father in heaven. It's not about us. That's what Jesus is saying. It's about, it's about glorifying the Father. As you think about these principles and how they relate to our relationship to the Lord, Jesus is saying, look, you want to be one of my disciples, you want to be a follower of mine, then your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I get the impression the scribes and the Pharisees, they felt like God was lucky to have them on their side. Don't you? You remember when, remember when the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or even like this publican over here. God, you're lucky to have me on your side. That's not what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. It's about seeing ourselves as we really are and recognizing that without the grace, mercy, and love of God, we would be nothing. And that through a life devoted to Him, we can ultimately glorify God. It's about authenticating our relationship. By what means? By following His commands, doing His will. That's how we glorify God. And in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 13 through 16, you know, we think about principles of kingdom living. And the fact that what Jesus is saying is, look, your life needs to be such so that you are an influence for good in the world. You're to be salt and light. I mean, after all, you're one of my disciples, aren't you? He said, you're the salt of the earth. In other words, you're a leavening agent for good. 
People watch us. They observe how we interact and how we act on a daily basis, don't they? Can they tell whether or not our relationship to God is authentic? If we're just kind of going through the motions? Can't they tell? Sure they can. How they do that? By how we talk? By the people we associate with? By the things that we do? By our effect? I mean, there are a lot of things that tip people off with regard to our relationship with the Lord, whether it's genuine or not. Jesus said not only are we to be the salt of the earth, but He said you're to be the light of the world. The world that we live in is dark. It's under the domain of the devil. He's identified as the God of this age. You remember John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It lies in darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're to be light bearers. I want you to think about the world. Think about the community that we live in. If we don't attract people to Christ, who will? There might be people in this community that only you can reach. Well, how do you do that? One of the ways you do it is by demonstrating the light of Christ in your life daily. To be an influence for good for His cause. Remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5? He said, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's something to be said about a Christian who is letting his or her light shine in a darkened world. We're to be different. We're to be authentic disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins by talking about attitudes. Attitudes that impact kingdom living. But then also, he talks about our affections. As you think about the heart, and really the heart is the heart of the matter. Wasn't it Jesus that said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? Don't you think it's interesting? Solomon said in the long ago, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs, he would say, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. That being said, drop down to chapter 6. Look at verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, what is your focus in life? Is it on things on earth? Or is it, with, or is it on things in heaven? And what's, I mean, what, what is it that motivates you? What, what's your life all about? What's the summation of your life? There are a lot of folks in our world today, it's all about the here and now, isn't it? They're worried about laying up treasures in heaven. They're worried about, they're busy daily, storing up. Remember in Luke 12, Jesus talked about the rich farmer whose barns were bulging. And he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater there. I'm going to bestow all my crops and goods. His attitude was, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said, let me tell you what, you're a fool. Why? Because 
tonight your life's going to be required. And all these things that you, you've accumulated, who's they going to be? Paul said we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You might have a lot of money in the bank here on planet Earth. The real question is how much you have on the other side. That's what matters. Paul said we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. A lot of folks, if I didn't know better, a lot of folks I would think, we're going to take it with them. It's all they're concerned about. And then, note if you would, Jesus addresses the anxieties of the heart. Drop down, look at verse 25. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Matter of fact, in verse 28, Jesus asked this question, why do you worry? Is it not the case that anxieties can sometimes flood the heart, control the life? Prohibit us from enjoying peace and serenity in life? Well, the answer is yes. And yet three times in this context, what does Jesus say? Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do you think God in heaven, do you think God understands our plight here on planet earth? Does he know what we need? Drop down, look if you would at what Jesus said. He talks about what we wear, what we eat, what we drink. In verse 32, he said, After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Okay, in light of that, what then ought to be the aim of life, the aim of the heart? Listen to him, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When it comes to the heart, it's not about the here and now. It's not about laying up treasures on earth. It's not about trying to climb the corporate ladder. I mean, those things might be well and good in some context. But the focus of life, the summation of life, is seeking first the kingdom of God, putting spiritual things first in life. Isn't that right? Isn't that what he's talking about? Sure it is. So you think about how foundational Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are with regard to the ministry of Christ. He's laying a foundation. And that foundation undergirds everything the discipleship's about. Well, where does it all begin? Where's it in? The heart. It's all about the heart. That's why he talks about our righteousness exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Their hearts, by and large, were corrupt. They were antagonists of Jesus. Despised him. It was all about show. And Jesus is saying, look, you want to be one of my disciples. You get up every day and you try to live and follow in my footsteps. All right? Quickly, before our time's out. Note, if you would, also the perceptiveness of kingdom living. Drop down, look at chapter 7. In verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, he said, they are ravenous wolves or grievous wolves. He said, You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Can we not be fruit inspectors? And by the way, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus deals with judging, doesn't He? I'm not saying that we don't make judgment calls in life. We do. 
What he is prohibiting is that hypercritical judging of other people with all the, without all the facts. The scribes and the Pharisees, they would have been masters at that. And so Jesus is saying, when it comes to the kingdom of God, you've got to be discerning when it comes to what you hear and what you practice. Why? Because there are people parading around as sheep, but He said inwardly they're ravening wolves. You've got to make sure that what you hear coincides with the Word of God. The scribes and the Pharisees, I mentioned, I mentioned a moment ago, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said they were blind guides. And He said if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. I noted a moment ago, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus put the disciples on guard with regard to the teaching, the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why was that? Because their doctrine was poisonous. So what Jesus is saying is, as disciples of mine, you've got to be discerning. What then is the standard by which we judge everything? It's His Word, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the bottom line? And can't we make distinctions with regard to that which is right and wrong, true or false, based upon the Word? Well, sure. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 provide a lot of insight into what it means to be a disciple of Christ. A disciple is simply a learner. Our goal is to learn, to grow, to become more Christ-like in everything we say, in everything we do. And so in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus in summation is saying, look, it's all about the heart. I mean, really, that's the thrust of it. So what about you? When you look at the teaching of Jesus in comparison to your life, where do you stack up? You ever thought about that? Where do you stack up? When you look at your life in light of the teaching of Jesus, where do you stack up? Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 12, He that rejects me receives not my word, has that which judges him? And what is that? The word that I've spoken. As I think about the scribes and the Pharisees, they had every opportunity. They had every opportunity to become genuine followers of the Lord. Now, Nicodemus was a great man. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He became a follower of Jesus. Not every scribe, not every Pharisee was bad, but there were a lot of bad ones. They had the evidence before them. They, they had the opportunity to hear Jesus preach and teach on numerous occasions. They saw the miracles that He performed. They heard Him say that He was the fulfillment of the law. They heard Him talk about His relationship to God, and they had to draw their conclusions, didn't they? They were in the presence of deity, and they said no to Him. 
as incredulous as that may be. You have to make that same decision. You've got to decide what you think about Jesus. And you've got to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to follow Him. You want to be His disciple? Not going to be easy. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says in a very plain and forthright way, if you want to be one of my followers, then you can expect persecution, tough times. The blessings far outweigh the tough times. But to understand, to be one of His children, facing persecution, trial, tribulation, comes with the territory. So tonight... I want to close by saying the Lord's interested in all people. His desire is that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You can come to the knowledge of the truth. You can know the truth, and as Jesus said, it'll make you free. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, there are certain things that you must do in order to become one of His disciples. You've got to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You've got to demonstrate faith in the Lord. You've got to believe that He's the Son of God. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be buried with Him in baptism. And then live faithfully. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, your life's not what it ought to be, our plea to you will be come home. To understand that God wants you in heaven with Him one day. We'd love to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.